Good morning, everyone. It is a pleasure to be here with you all once again. Um, this college, being a part of the College of Preachers uh, this summer has been both an incredible blessing to me and also uh, terrifying at the same time. Um, it's great to be back here with you again uh, to proclaim good news. So I say to you, the Lord be with you. Thank you so much. So this is the uh, third week in a row that we are in the sixth chapter of John's Gospel, and it's also the third week in a row that we're talking about one of my daughter's favorite things in the entire world, which is bread. Jesus. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of bread talk in John chapter 6, and uh, so we're just going to touch back real quickly on what we've been hearing about bread the last couple weeks. Jesus has fed a large crowd of people who seem to be anticipating the next uh, miraculous sign that Jesus is going to give. There's this growing opposition to Jesus among um, some of the religious authorities who are already chomping at the bit to get rid of this Jesus guy. They're not really happy with the activity that he's performing on the Sabbath or the intimate nature in which he's talking about himself and God. And they want Jesus to go away so that they can maintain control over their asserting, their interpretation of Jewish law and tradition. The crowd who Jesus has just fed want Jesus to satisfy their desire for a king. A couple weeks ago, we saw Jesus fleeing from the crowd after feeding them because he feared they wanted to crown him king. Everyone wants things to go back to how things were when, when they were on top. The general consensus is, Jesus, just give us what we want. Just tell us what to do. Just get out of the way. Let us control the situation. We get frustrated and complain and they've already made up their minds about who Jesus is, and altogether they're missing the incarnate presence of the living God right before them. But today, friends, we proclaim the good news that even in the midst of our need for control over our desires, Jesus assures us that our deepest desires are satisfied in him. So, at this point, uh, at the beginning of this previous week, most of uh, my family is already back in school. So we've been in school for a week, and then we had a weekend that felt like summer vacation all over again. Uh, Miranda and I celebrated 18 years of marriage last Sunday. And so, yeah, no easy, no small feat. Uh, so we thought, why not celebrate? <laughs> uh, we... We don't get away by ourselves, just the two of us, very often. So we had no other obligations really going on last week, and we thought this might be one of the few chances we had to just get away without children. So that's what we did. And yes, yes, and it was beautiful and glorious. And so meantime, the kids spent the entire weekend with their grandparents, which meant uh, ice cream sundaes, which meant uh, endless board games, uh, cable television, uh, origami animals. They got to play with their cousins on Saturday. 
they, it, it, was, it was like a dream come true for both of them all weekend long. So by the beginning of this week, we've really been struggling to get back into some sort of, some sort of weekly, nightly routine, getting to bed on time, making sure we got homework done, when do we eat dinner, we've got to do that probably, maybe a, the occasional bath or shower would be good. Uh, so at this point, emotions in our household are running uh, pretty high. We're still trying to make these adjustments. So on Tuesday, uh, the kids get home, and they get their homework done. And Tuesday afternoon, over the summer, every Tuesday, I have a conference call with the rest of the folks who are participating in the College of Preachers. So Miranda usually likes to get the kids out of the house so they're not too rambunctious or distracting. And so she decides she's going to take the kids to the library on Tuesday afternoon once they get their homework done, which is my daughter's favorite place in the world to go because it means she can get more books to add to the already three-foot-tall stack of books that is on the end table next to our sofa uh, in our living room. So they're, they're off to the library. Nolan wants nothing to do with it. He's throwing a fit, screaming and yelling uh, all the way out the door. But finally, they make it to the library. I have my call about 6.30, or about, about 5.30, 6 o'clock. They get back home, and we have just enough energy among us to like, leave the house and go find some place to have dinner. So we do that. And we even let the kids have their own meal, which typically they can probably share a meal among the two of them. But... They argue, they plead their case that they should get their own meal, so we let them do that. On the car ride home, uh, we, we, we make a compromise that maybe we can put off showers for one more night so that when we get home, maybe we can play a family game together. Um, so we get home, the kids put away dishes, they're getting ready to settle down in the living room. Meanwhile, I am in the kitchen reloading the dishwasher with dirty dishes. And then I hear uh, from our dining room right next to our kitchen what sounds like uh, the end of a very long Jenga game happening in my dining room closet. So immediately I think to myself, this is, this is Nolan trying to extract the game that we're going to play for family game night. Uh, and... and the game that we were going to play is this game called Ticket to Ride. I don't know if anybody's heard of this game, Ticket to Ride. So Miranda and I have been for months wanting to play this game. Anytime we get a game out to play as a family, we suggest, let's play Ticket to Ride. And the kids are like, no, no, let's play an eight-hour game of Clue, which <laughs> is the last thing we want to do. So the kids were actually agreeable. They wanted to play Ticket to Ride. So we were excited. We get to play this game. Who cares what the kid wants? We get to, we get to play this game. So... Being, being that it had been months since we'd played Ticket to Ride, I figured Nolan's grabbing the game from the bottom of one of the very tall stacks of games in our, in our closet, and four or five other board games stacked on top of it is, are probably falling on top of his head. This is, this is what I assume is taking place. What I, what I didn't know is that among those games that were on this stack of games were a couple of... Uh, the aforementioned clue that we have that's in a really handsome, uh, really good-looking uh, hard wooden box uh, with really hard wooden corners on it. And sure enough, one of those 
hard wooden boxes had just nailed Nolan right in the forehead. So he's screaming at the top of his lungs, crying. We, we sweep him off into the living room, and we're getting Tylenol, and, and we're getting ice packs, and, we're, and Miranda and Olivia are comforting him on the sofa. And eventually, he's up to playing a game again. Olivia, meanwhile, she really had decided that rather than play a game, she wanted to just spend the rest of the night on the sofa with a book cuddled up next to mommy. That's what she wanted to do. Um, in which Miranda told her that it, she'd be more than happy to cuddle up with Olivia while she's playing a game with the rest of the family um, uh, in the living room. Olivia doesn't have to play the game if she doesn't want to. That's fine. And if she wants to read a book to herself, that's fine. And she can cuddle up next to her mom. The rest of us are going to play a game. So after, after tending uh, to Nolan's wounds, um, the, the, the one who had given his forehead for the sake of our family game night, uh, Olivia decides that, you know what, maybe I want to spend some time playing a game with my brother. So she's, she's all in. So the game, we get the game set up, everybody's in, we're playing the game, and it's going well, and it's you know, probably not going as well as we'd like because there's arguments about the rules of Ticket to Ride, there's... Uh, we still haven't been getting to bed at, at a decent hour. So emotions are still pretty high. But we get through the game, um, and once the, the final person finishes the game, because in our, in our home, it's not enough for whoever wins uh, to, to be the end of the game. Everybody has to complete the game. So we get through all four people playing the game. And then we start packing up the game, and we start trying to push the kids toward, toward, toward their room. It's time to get ready for bed. And this is when Olivia loses her mind. This is when Olivia says, Mommy, you said we could, we could read and cuddle on the couch together. And Miranda says, I told you we were going to play a game with Nolan, and that if you wanted, you could cuddle up next to Mommy. Well, that's not fair. This is a big thing with my daughter lately. It's not fair. Things aren't fair. So from this point on, things just get uglier and uglier as Miranda attempts to spend time with Olivia before bed. She says, you know, if you get ready for bed quick enough, I'd be more than happy to lay with you in your bed and cuddle with you for a while before you have to go to bed. But to Olivia, this is not what she had in mind. In her mind, we're cuddling up on the couch, we're reading a book together, this is what I foresaw. This is what needs to happen. She wasn't getting what she wanted, how she wanted it. And she was letting us both know that. Everybody know that with her language, with her mouth, with, and, with, and with her body language. Even while her mother the whole time is leaning in, trying to spend more time with her, she's pushing away. She's saying, this isn't how I wanted it. I don't know if anyone can relate to my 10-year-old daughter's frustration. <laughs> In the moment, I find myself getting frustrated with her, like, come on. But then when I stop and think about it, I think, how many times do I do the same thing? This isn't what I imagined for my life. This isn't the job I thought I was going to have at this point in my life, at this point in my career. This isn't the neighborhood that I imagined I was going to be living in 
raising my kids in. It's easy to get an idea in, in our heads about how things in our lives are supposed to turn out. If I could just get my house clean and have it stay clean for more than four hours. If my kids could just behave. If I just had neighbors who weren't so loud and opinionated. If I just got through this next thing, to, if I just got through this thing that I'm in right now to get to the next thing, then maybe I could be doing what God wants me to do. And what ends up happening for me personally is that it becomes a whole lot easier for me to, to complain and to grumble about how things aren't the way that I want them to be in order to be satisfied. So I resign myself to contempt, and I'm unable to ask, what is God doing right here, right now, in the midst of this desire that I have? What does God want me to know about what I'm feeling right now? And I'm unable to move towards Jesus and hold that out because it's so much easier to just complain about my situation. But today, friends, we proclaim the good news that even in the midst of our need for control over our desires, Jesus assures us that our deepest desires are satisfied in him. In the gospel text this morning, Jesus is surrounded by crowds who are unable to see and experience the fullness of what God is up to in their life. Some of these people would much rather grumble about the details of Jesus' life that don't fit in with their expectations of how God is supposed to be at work. A couple weeks ago, we saw Jesus feeding this massive crowd, like I mentioned before, as uh, John using this story as a signpost. Jesus feeding the people bread to point them to him as the bread of life. The bread that Jesus feeds the crowd can temporarily satisfy uh, a hungry belly or the concern with finding and preparing the next meal. But in Jesus, God is doing something new that will not just sustain the hunger of his people, but will actually give life, and not just life to a particular people, but to all people, to the world. But the sign that Jesus shows to highlight his authority as the word who has become flesh, though in the beginning of John, the word that has always been with God, and that is God, that has been made flesh, God incarnate, that's lost on the people because rather than seeing Jesus as the destination, like Deb talked about last week, the point, the point of arrival at the incarnate God, they're stuck at that signpost. They're stuck on the bread. It's as if they're saying, yeah, Jesus, this never-ending supply of bread that you're talking about sounds fantastic. This is great. What do we need to do? How are you going to get us this bread? If you want us to trust you, quit talking in riddles and just give us the bread already. Give us bread like Moses gave our ancestors. We know how this is supposed to work. 
And of course, Jesus responds, it's me. I'm the bread. I am the bread of life. So meanwhile, there's a group of religious leaders who oppose Jesus, showing contempt, going even further. Yeah, we know how this is supposed to work. And it doesn't involve someone as common as you. Bread from heaven? <laughs> Dude, we know you're from Nazareth. We know who your mom and dad are. You're not kidding anybody. And P.S. PS they ain't anything special either. Your folks? For me, it, it can be really easy to look at that particular group opposing Jesus and go, there's the bad guys in the story. But if I'm really honest, how often do I do a very similar thing? And I think, I know who Jesus is. I know how this works. These people are the church people, and they can't see who Jesus really is. The natural temptation for me is to guard and protect whatever theological perspective, whatever tradition that I find most helpful, most true, while dismissing and even vocalizing contempt for those that I don't. I've found myself guilty of proclaiming good news in Jesus while at the same time drawing very distinct lines about who and who cannot participate in that good news. And then those people become not somebody that I can learn from, that I can maybe be shown a side of God that I, that I wasn't aware of, but they become an object of my own grumbling, and I dismiss them and grow contempt for them. Even today, I find myself believing and behaving as if having the right information about Jesus, having the right theology about Jesus, is going to do the work in me that only trusting Jesus with my desires can do. But today, friends, we proclaim the good news that even in the midst of our need for control over our desires, Jesus assures us that our deepest desires are satisfied in him. Amen. Jesus insists that God's desire is for everyone to be drawn to him. He says, I'm telling you the truth. Anyone who trusts in me has the life of the age of God's reign. The life of the kingdom of God is yours if you will trust me. I am the bread of life. So, back at our house last Tuesday, as Miranda was addressing Olivia's cries of unfairness, from her bedside. She recited these words to Olivia over and over and over again. She kept saying, you have everything you need. As Olivia kept pressing in further about how unfair things were and how she wasn't getting what she wanted, how she wanted it, Miranda continued to say, you have everything you need. You have everything you need. And friends, my instinct is to, is to agree with her and say, yes, come on, 
Get with it, kid. You've got a roof over your head. You've got grandparents that make you ice cream sundaes for breakfast. You've got a mother, for crying out loud, who wants nothing but to cuddle up next to her daughter right now before bed. When are you going to believe that you have everything you need? But the truth of the matter is, is that I need to hear that as much as my 10-year-old daughter does. If I could just... If I could just... If I just had... Then I could be free to trust you. Then I could be free to really trust you with my life, Jesus. I don't know what this looks like for you right now. Maybe, maybe it's a desire for a relationship, for a job. Maybe it's a desire to be healed in some way. Maybe there's a desire for that kid's parent to parent their kid the way that we would. <laughs> Maybe there's a desire for our boss or a coworker or a teacher to just communicate better. Something that just causes us endless frustration. Maybe it's another situation that has become a source of contempt that feels like complaining, gossiping, sulking, ranting over it is somehow a better idea than actually submitting to Jesus, to submitting to the bread of life. What would it look like for the kingdom of God to come crashing down on you right where you are today and meeting you right in that place, in that particular desire? This has been hard for me this week. Because I, personally, I can often make the mistake of overthinking what that is for me and, and that it's got to be something huge, something monumental, some great, significant thing. But here at the table, we use language of trusting that God is always present and God is always at work. And friends, what that means is that in the small, insignificant places of our life, that's where God meets us. Right there in those places that we feel like, this is nothing I need to pay too much attention to. That's where God wants to meet us. That's where the kingdom is ready to break into our lives. So for me right now, what's been on my mind is um, our house. We live in this probably 100-year-old house that we've been uh, living in for the past five years and renovating while we live in it. So we moved to this neighborhood where our kids go to school right down the street. We can walk to their school. We have neighbors who actually talk to each other, which has been, we've experienced, that's been a hard thing to come by in a lot of neighborhoods. We can ride our bikes to go get ice cream. Or, go, or to the library. I've got a brewery and a coffee shop like two blocks from my house. It's fantastic. So we picked this neighborhood to put down roots, and we bought this house. 
and we're slowly transforming it into something that we're proud of. But we have so much more to get done on this house. And for me, it's an endless source of frustration. And often, rather than standing back and really appreciating what we've accomplished so far, what we've done together, Miranda and I, and being present to my family, communicating with my wife clearly about projects that we're working on, I let the unfinished parts of our home, I let those things become a source of anxiety and stress, often a source of envy and self-defeat that caused me to complain about how we never should have even moved out of the old neighborhood that five years ago I couldn't wait to move out of that neighborhood. For me, it's submitting that to God and asking, why am I not, why am I not okay with having a kitchen with unfinished drywall ceilings and a partially torn up linoleum floor? Why has that caused me frustration to the point of complaining and sharing those feelings with people who I can trust to help me process those desires? Friends, the problem isn't that we have the desires that we have, but that we don't trust Jesus with those desires. The good news, though, is that even in the midst of our need for control over our desires, Jesus assures us that our deepest desires are satisfied in him. We can hold them out. We can submit those desires to Christ in community, not letting them own us, but actually owning it, what it is that we want and asking, what is this about? What, why do I want this or think that I need this? What is this desire really rooted in? Is this just the next round of manna that I'm looking for? Am I looking for this thing to satisfy some significance or security or belonging? Some need for that that I believe is true? Or can I trust that in Jesus, the bread of life, we have everything we need? Every week uh, here at the table, we respond to the good news with our hands open to simply receive and be fed by Christ together at the table. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. When the people ask him, what, what, what can we do? What is it we need to be doing to be doing what God wants us to do? Jesus says, trust me. And so that's what we do when we come to the table with our hands open. So friends, what unchecked desire or source of contempt does God want to meet you in today to bring to him? We're going to respond together by inviting you to hold out that desire by praying the prayer of response that's in the bulletin, that's in the, that's in the booklet that you have. Gracious God, I confess that I have not trusted Jesus with my desire for and whatever that is for you. And then help me to trust with a spirit of submission that my deepest desires are satisfied in Christ, Lord, in your mercy. And then we'll stand in solidarity with one another by praying together, hear our prayer. So let's pray.